Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 11, as we follow along with today's lesson. And when the people saw what Paul had done, They lifted up their voices and speaking in the language of the Lyconians, they said, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. The gods are here. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Now, That's Latin for the Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. In Lyconia, there was a legend or a myth that at one time, Zeus and Hermes came down to visit the people incognito. And they went throughout Lyconia. And no one showed them any hospitality. They were treated very poorly by the people, except for one old couple, Philemon and his wife. And so because of their mistreatment, because the people didn't recognize them because they were incognito, They cursed the area, and the whole area was destroyed with the exception of Philemon and his wife. So this was sort of a legend in that area. So the people didn't want to miss it. If this is Zeus and Hermes again, uh, then, uh, you know, uh, we want to recognize them so that we won't be cursed. So they, they said that because Barnabas was the taller of the two, he must be Zeus, and that little short guy with the squinty eyes and the crooked nose must be Hermes. And the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. The gods are here. And so the priest of Jupiter, and probably someone ran out to the temple of Jupiter and said, hey, man, your God's down here. And so he came dragging an ox up the street to the gate of the city and was going to offer a sacrifice to Barnabas and to Paul. I believe that at this point, they were facing the gravest danger in their ministry. Not when they were in Iconia and there was a plot to stone them. Not later on in Lystra when they did stone Paul. But right now is the greatest threat to the success of their ministry 
as the people are ready to worship them as gods because of God's working through their lives. I think that there is an incumbent danger with the gifts of the Spirit that we all need to be wary of. All of us desire to have the power of God working in our lives. All of us desire to have spiritual giftings. As Paul said, covet earnestly the best gifts. And, and we do desire to see the power of God. We would love to see answers to prayer. We'd love to see God's power manifested in our lives and through our lives. But whenever this happens, people have a tendency to get their eyes on the instrument that God is using and to elevate and glorify that instrument. You remember earlier in the book of Acts, when Peter and John were going into the temple at the hour of prayer in the afternoon and there was a lame man there, also about 40 years old, also who had never walked. A common figure, for he had been there for years begging at the beautiful gate of the temple. And when he saw Peter and John going in, he sought alms of them, and Peter said, look on us. And he reached out his hand, and Peter said, oh, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have I'll give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise to your feet and walk. And he took him and lifted him to his feet, and immediately he was healed, and he began to walk and leap and praise God. It created quite a sensation. Hundreds, thousands of people began to crowd around Peter and the lame man who was hugging Peter and jumping up and down. And people said, isn't that the lame man? And others said, sure looks like him. Well, how come he can walk? We don't know. And then Peter, looking at the crowd, said, men and brethren, you men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look on us as though we, through our own righteousness, have done this good deed to the lame man? Be it known unto you that it's by the name of Jesus Christ this man stands here before you whole. But this is a common tendency. When God uses an individual in a work of God, bringing healing or supernatural sign, people usually get their eyes on the instrument that God used. And they're ready to glorify man. They're ready to glorify the instrument. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, the danger is taking the glory. And you can sort of rationalize it and say, well, I'll let them just think I'm Zeus and that'll give me a chance then to really... You know, then I can lead them around to Jesus. And there is a temptation to enjoy and to sort of savor that 
adoration and adulation. But it'll be the end of your ministry. God will not share his glory with man. And so Paul and Barnabas were in great danger as the priest of Jupiter was ready to offer a sacrifice to them. And so when Paul and Barnabas realized what was going on, suddenly they, they saw the priest, they saw the, they, they, they put things together and they realized what was happening here. And so they tore their clothes and they ran in among the people and they were crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made the heaven and earth and the sea and all of the things that are in therein. Notice they did not take the adulation of the people. And they turned them, they said, we've come here to tell you that you're not to follow these empty things. You're to serve the living God who is the creator of the whole universe. It was important that they turn these people away from themselves and to the Lord. We are men of like passions. That's hard for us to believe, isn't it? When we read in the Old Testament of Elijah, we read the fire coming down from heaven. We read of the miracles that Elijah did. Don't you believe that Elijah was some kind of a super saint? I mean, look at the power this man had. But the Bible says that Elijah was a man of like passions, like unto us. When you read of Paul and the ministry of Paul and the exploits of this servant of God, when you read of him saying to the man, stand up on your feet, and this lame man, 38 years old, never walked before, born with this impediment, and you see him walking and leaping, you think, my Paul is something super. But he's saying, no, we're men of like passions. What's he saying? God uses common people. God uses ordinary people to accomplish his work. God wants to use you. you say, oh, no, not me. Yes, you. It's interesting how that those people that God has used have always felt that somehow they weren't usable. Look what God had to go through to get Moses to go to the Pharaoh. Lord, I'm, I'm not eloquent. I can't, I can't really speak, God. Well, all right, I'll give you Aaron to speak for you. Well, Lord, they won't, they won't believe that you sent me. Well, what's in your hand? Yeah, this old stick. Throw it on the ground. Became a serpent. Grab it by the tail and became a stick again. I'll be with you. I'll work with you. 
Well, Lord, why don't you get someone else? (laughs) God said to Jeremiah, before you were ever conceived in the womb, I knew you. While you were being formed in your mother's womb, I ordained that you should go and stand before kings and speak my word. And all. Oh, Lord, you've got to be kidding. I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a teenager. Who's going to listen to me? You see, those people that God used always felt, well, no, Lord, you can't mean me. When God came to Gideon as he was hiding in the cave, threshing the wheat of his fathers. And he said, Thou mighty man of valor, go in this thy might and deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. And Gideon said, Check your papers, man. You've got the wrong address. You've got the wrong man. I'm from the least tribe, and my father is the least in the tribe, and I'm the least in my father's house. I mean, you've got the bottom of the barrel. Men that God uses are men who are always surprised that God would use them. God wants to use you. Who knows what God would do through your life if you fully yielded yourself to him? Someone once said, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded unto God. Moody heard that and said, I want to be that man. And we see what God did through Dwight Moody. But yet, I'm sure he wasn't totally yielded. I believe the world has yet to see what God could do through a man who is totally yielded to him. And so, Paul said, and Barnabas, we're men of like passions. We're just like, we're not gods, we're just men, ordinary men. And we've come to tell you that you should turn away from these kind of vanities. These things are empty. The worship of false gods is empty. There is a true and a living God who is the creator. He's the one that you're to worship. And we've come to tell you about him. And he said, in times past, God allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness. In that he did good, he gave us rain from heaven, the fruitful seasons, the filling of our hearts with food and gladness. And so they are showing to the people that the true and the living God has revealed himself, his goodness in nature. The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the earth showeth forth his handiwork, And day unto day they are speaking unto unto us. Night after night their voice is speaking. And it is universal language. There is not a speech nor a language where his voice is not heard. Paul tells the Romans that even the heathen are without excuse because of God's revelation of himself in nature. So they are going to the basic revelation of God, the true and the living God, the one who created the universe. He is the one who gives us rain, the fruitful seasons, 
and fills our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they were scarcely able to restrain the people not to sacrifice to them. Now there came thither certain Jews from Antioch. That's where they started out, down in the coastal region. And Iconium, that's where they were going to stone them, they lynch them. Who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. How fickle is the worship of the crowd. How many people give their life to receive the worship of the crowd? As Paul talks about those who are in the Olympics and in wrestling competition. He said they, they train, they discipline their bodies, they go through all types of sacrifice and they do it for a corruptible crown that they might enter the Olympics and win the wrestling championship in the Olympics to stand before the judges as the world champion wrestler and have a laurel wreath placed on your head and stand there as they play your national anthem. And he, he talks about all of the sacrifice, all of the disciplining of the body that they go through for this corruptible crown, for the glory of man, to stand there and be applauded as the greatest. But oh, how fickle is the crowd. You may train and you might spend hours in the batting cage and you might have your trainers and all and where you're able really keep your eye on that ball and knock it out of the park and, you know, you might be the home run hero of the year and most runs batted in and the whole bit, but go into a batting slump for a week or two and what happens? You know, it could be that every time you come up to bat, people are cheering and yelling and whistling and stomping in the stadiums, you know, because, wow, looking for a home run. But a two-week slump without a hit. And when they announce your name and you step up to bat, you hear all the boo birds. <laughs> oh, how fickle is the glory of the world. And here they are ready to offer sacrifices, claim them as gods, but the next thing is they're stoning them. Paul is stoned and drug out of the city. They think he's dead. Paul wrote his second letter to the Corinthians about 14 years after this event. And in chapter 12, he said, there was a man about 14 years ago, and whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But such a one was caught up into the third heaven, and there I heard things that were so fantastic that it would be a crime to try and describe them in human language. There are no words that have yet been devised or created that can describe the beauty of the things I heard. 
it would be a crime to try and describe them with human language. Now, many believe that Paul is referring to this experience in Lystra when he was stoned, and then they drug him out of the city, figuring he was dead. Paul is saying, I don't know if I was dead or not. I don't know if I was dead or alive. What I do know is I was caught up into heaven. Maybe I was dead. Maybe I went up into heaven. I don't know. Maybe I was alive and just had a vision. They thought he was dead. But Paul says, I, I really can't tell you. I don't know if I was dead or alive, but I do know that I was there in the third heaven and it was glorious. And because of the abundance of the revelations that was given to me, this heavenly visitation, this visit into heaven, he said, there was also given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a minister of Satan to buffet me, lest I would be exalted above measure because of the abundance of the revelations that I received. And it could be that this thorn in the flesh was a result of the stoning. It could be that there was some injury that he never fully recovered from. So, as his body was there, they left, they figured he was dead. His friends had gathered around him. And he rose up, and he came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Went back into the city where they just stoned him. And then the next day takes off. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, that is Derby, and they taught many, they returned back to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. They had seen what it cost Paul. So they encouraged them and said, look, it's not going to be an easy road. It's going to be tough. It's through much tribulation. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. And when they had ordained them elders in every city or every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So this was the first thrust on into this area of Asia, which is present-day Turkey. They are encouraging them to stay with the Lord. And then after they had passed throughout Pisidia, back to the coast, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, which, or Attila, uh, which is the port from which they first arrived and from which they left. And from there they sailed back to Antioch of Syria, from whence they began this journey, having been recommended to the grace of God 
for the work which they fulfilled. They accomplished their first mission. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they related all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there in Antioch they stayed for a long time, back in their home church, ministering again. But it's like the missionaries who go out And then they come back and they share with us how God used them. It's always exciting to have our young people return and tell of the grace of God working in their lives as they've shared the gospel of Christ in the various places throughout the world. And so the early church of Antioch was a center for world missions, even as This church has become a center for world missions. And it's thrilling always to hear what God is doing. So, we find in the next chapter the first church council and the reason for the calling of the first church council, the issues that needed to be resolved. Read on. It's exciting as we continue the story of Jesus Christ, as he continues his ministry upon the earth, now through men, apostles, who have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Let's turn in our Bibles now to the 15th chapter of Acts. There were certain men which came down from Judea to the church in Antioch, and they taught the brethren, and they said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were saying basically that in order to be saved, you had to become a Jew. And this was a very strong feeling in the early church. It was a stronger feeling among the Jews. The Jews felt that salvation was only for the Jews. They did not believe that a Gentile could be saved. If a Gentile wanted to be saved, he had to proselytize and become a Jew in order to be saved. In the process of proselyting, you had to submit to the rite of circumcision. You had to be baptized and you had to then obey the law of Moses. And they felt that that was necessary in order to be saved. Now, many of the Jews in Jerusalem were accepting Jesus Christ, but they still held to the belief that only Jews could be saved. And actually, when Peter went to the Gentiles with the gospel, Peter was called on the carpet. They said, we heard that you went to the house of the Gentiles. And you ate with them. And and Peter had to 
say, well, look, it wasn't my idea. Uh, the Lord gave me a vision and the Lord told me to go and I was just obedient to what the Lord told me to do. But the walls were beginning to come down. Now, many Gentiles are receiving Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas went on the first missionary journey and they had tremendous success in seeing the conversion of many Gentiles. For the most part, they received a lot of resistance from the Jews. And the Jews stirred up all kinds of difficulty for them. And so they said, since you deem yourself unworthy of God's grace, we're going to go to the Gentiles. And they ministered the gospel to the Gentiles and had tremendous success. Now, the church in Antioch was basically a Gentile church. But there were these brethren who came from Jerusalem. And it's interesting, Paul writes about this very experience in the second chapter to Galatians. And you might want to turn there because it gives us some insight on this whole incident that isn't given to us in the book of Acts. Here in Galatians chapter 2, Paul said, Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and we took Titus with us also. And we went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which we preach among the Gentiles but privately to those that were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren who unaware brought in, or came in, and they brought in privately to spy, or they came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So Paul declares concerning these people that came from the church in Jerusalem that they, they came out to just sort of out of curiosity to spy out the liberty that the Gentiles believers had. And their purpose was to bring them into the bondage of the law. But Paul said, to whom we gave place by subjection, no not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God doesn't accept any man's person. And he's talking about the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting how that so often in uh, men that have been used by God sort of get elevated and lifted up. And, and really begin to think that they are something. But uh, I love Paul. He says, you know, these guys that seem to be something, whatever, I don't know, but they didn't do anything for me. Uh, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed to me and the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, 
For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Peter and John, who seemed to to be the pillars, (laughs) I like that, they perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they to the circumcision. Only they would that we would remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter, and this is after this, came to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those that were of the circumcision. And uh, so other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that even Barnabas uh, was carried away with the dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before all of them, If you being a Jew live after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And so uh, Peter makes mention of this going up to Jerusalem uh, to settle the issue that was creating a division within the church. The issue of what relationship the Gentile believers would have to the law of Moses? Or is it necessary to become a Jew in order to be saved? Is salvation through faith alone? Or are works necessary? Must you add works to your faith in order to be saved? So when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that is with these fellows who came from Jerusalem, big argument, and disputation among them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them, Titus we know, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So on their way, they stopped by the different fellowships, and it's interesting how the church was growing. There were fellowships there in Phoenicia. There were fellowships now throughout Samaria. And and they stopped through the churches, and they were just sharing the wonderful work of God among the Gentile believers, how that the Gentile world was receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and the elders, and they declared all of the things that God had done with them. Now, as Paul said to the Galatians, they had a private meeting with the leadership, with James and John and Peter, Uh, They had this private meeting, and then they went into an open public meeting to discuss the issues. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees who had come to a faith in Jesus Christ, and they said it was needful to circumcise the Gentiles. 
and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So those who had this Pharisaic background were insisting the Gentiles must adhere to the law of Moses and to the rituals, the ritual of circumcision. And the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been a lot of disputing, a lot of argument over it, Peter stood up and he said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knows the hearts, bears them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us. So Peter is recounting the fact, and of course it is recorded back in uh, the 10th chapter, how that uh, the Lord sent him to the Gentiles, that he was the instrument through which the door was open to the Gentiles to receive the gospel. And we remember that as he was at the house of Cornelius, while he was speaking, the Holy Spirit came upon them when they believed the gospel that Peter preached. Paul later wrote to the Galatians and he said, received you the Spirit by the hearing of faith or by the works of the law? The obvious answer was they had received the Spirit through the hearing of faith. They heard of this wonderful gift of God, and they received by faith the gift of God, not by the works of the law. The Holy Spirit was not given to them because they had done certain work because they had achieved a certain degree of holiness or righteousness. But it was just God's gift bestowed upon them when they heard by faith and believed by faith the word that was preached. So God, knowing the hearts. Now, here Peter declares the omniscience of God. He knows the hearts of men. As David said in the Psalm 139, thou hast searched me and thou hast known me. Thou knowest my downsittings, my uprisings. Thy under, you understand my thoughts afar off. Now that doesn't mean that God's way up in heaven and I'm way down here and from that distance he knows my thoughts. In the Greek language it is, or in the Hebrew rather, it is you know my thoughts in their origins. In other words, God knows my thoughts before I know them. He knows my thoughts before I ever think them. God knows what I'm going to think. And, uh, and, and that's interesting to me how that God knows my thoughts from their origins. He knows my thoughts before I even think them. Now, a little later in this same discussion, James is going to say, known unto him are all things from the beginning. Interesting how doctrine is woven right into 
uh, their common discussions. The doctrine of the omniscience of God. He knows the hearts. But James goes one step further. God has known all things from the beginning. So the omniscience of God uh, brought out in these discussions. And Peter declares that God has put no difference between us and them. That is, us Jews and them, the Gentiles. Purifying their hearts by faith. Now, the Jews were saved by faith. The Gentiles are saved by faith. The Jews were not saved by the works of the law. And when you get into the book of Romans, Paul spends a lot of time on this subject of how that we are justified through our faith in Jesus Christ apart from the works of the law, but for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And then Paul goes back even to Abraham, the father of the Jewish race, showing that Abraham was declared justified by God because of his faith. Abraham believed God and God accounted it, that is his belief, God accounted it as righteousness. Now Paul points out that that was declared before God ever spoke to Abraham about circumcision. He was declared righteous through his faith before this rite of circumcision was ever initiated and before the law was ever given so that justification is by faith apart from the works of the law. And and this is uh, one of Paul's major themes as he uh, preached the grace of God and justification through faith. So Peter is acknowledging God has purified our hearts through faith and he has purified their hearts through faith. He has put no difference between us. We all must come to Jesus Christ believing and trusting in him for our salvation. So Peter said, now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. Peter is very honest here. He is acknowledging that this law, as it was being taught by the Pharisees, was unbearable. Now, it should be noted that Jesus was in continual dispute with the Pharisees over the issue of the law. For they were constantly accusing Jesus of violating their law. Now, Jesus did not violate the law. He did violate the traditions that grew up around the law. They had developed a lot of traditions in their endeavor to interpret the law, especially the law concerning the Sabbath day, 
which declared, you are not to bear any burden on the Sabbath day. So, what constitutes bearing a burden? And so they started, you know, looking at everything. Is that bearing a burden? If you have a wooden leg, are you bearing a burden if you attach it to you on the Sabbath day and you walk with your wooden leg? Does that constitute bearing a burden? If you have false teeth, if you put them in on the Sabbath day, does that constitute? They actually were discussing these very things. The discussions are right there in their Talmud as they were seeking to determine what is bearing a burden. Now, one of their conclusions was healing on the Sabbath day is a work. So that it was to them unlawful to heal anybody on the Sabbath day. If a person had a severe accident, and they were bleeding to death. You could apply a tourniquet and stop the flow of blood, but you couldn't dress the wound, nor could you put any ointment on the wound on the Sabbath day, because that would perhaps start the healing process. You could do what was necessary to save their life, but you couldn't do anything towards the healing on the Sabbath day, you had to wait for the next day to, to dress it and, and to take care of it. Now, Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath day. And this is the issue that actually culminated in their determining, we're going to put him to death. He's violating the law. He's healing on the Sabbath day. And, and this constituted a, a real a sharp uh, criticism of Jesus by the Jews because he was violating their traditional interpretations of the law. Now, Peter is talking about all of these 67 volumes of interpretation as they sought to interpret what God really meant when he said, Thou shalt not. What, what does constitute, you know, a violation or infraction against this law? So Peter said, look, why do we tempt God by putting on their neck a yoke of bondage? That is, trying to keep the whole ceremonial law why put it on them? Because neither we nor our fathers have been able to handle this. We haven't been able to bear it. It's been too heavy for us. Man seeking to be justified by his works and by the works of the law. Now, Paul later writes an interesting paradox concerning the Gentiles who by their faith in Jesus Christ attained the righteousness of God because God imputes righteousness to those who believe, not to those that work, but to those that believe God imputes their faith 
for righteousness. Now, he said, what shall we say? That the Gentiles have attained the righteousness of God. Why? Because they sought it by faith. Yet the Jews who sought it by the law never did attain it. Why? Because you can't attain the righteousness of God through the law. By the law is the knowledge of sin. The law can only point a finger at you and declare your guilt. The law cannot absolve you from your guilt. It cannot save you from your guilt. It can only condemn you. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we have attained the righteousness of God. And now in Christ, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. This is the very issue that was splitting the early church. And this is the issue that still today is being faced by the church as there are so many who will add to the faith the necessity of doing certain works. And they will put upon the people a yoke of bondage. And they will declare that it is necessary to submit to certain rituals in order to be saved. Rituals do not save. Ordinances of the church do not save. You are saved by your faith in Jesus Christ and your trusting in him apart from works. Now, a genuine faith will lead to works. If I truly believe, then my faith in Jesus and my submitting to Jesus as my Lord will bring an obedience in my heart unto him and a desire to work for him, a desire to serve him. But it isn't of obligation nor is it to earn my salvation. It is because I am saved that I want to do things for the Lord. It's because I love Him that I desire to please Him. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Acts in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on serving the Lord. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Acts 14 through 15 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. 
And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for the record, for the things that we can learn from it, for the admonition, the encouragement, and the warnings. Lord, we do desire that you would use us, and we thank you that you use just plain, ordinary people. But Father, help us to be on guard that when people begin to look at us, hold us up in high esteem, that we not be guilty of trying to receive that adulation. But we as Paul and as Peter turn them to you, Lord, the great creator. Now, Lord, we are facing a new week. We need your strength. We need your help. And so, Lord, we ask that you would guide us. Give us opportunities of sharing our faith with others. Open the doors for us, Lord, that we might be able to declare the glorious gospel that we have received with those that we will meet during the week. And, Lord... We would like to be that person through which you might accomplish all of your purposes. We want to be totally dedicated to you, to your will, to do your work. So guide us, direct us, empower us, use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.